So as you may know, this summer we've been going through the book of Hebrews and we've been looking at the person of Jesus because what Hebrews does is it really gets in to who Jesus is. It explains it. If you have any confusion about who Jesus is, Hebrews is a great book to read. And this morning, I'm a l- it's a little ambitious, but I'm going to try to cover about three chapters <laughs> of stuff in one message. Um, but it basically is a section where... Uh, The writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus and this word covenant Who here has heard the word covenant before? And not from playing Halo, anybody? Uh, A couple people, I played Halo, I don't play a lot of video games, but I do remember that Uh, So, uh, Hebrews 7 calls Jesus, he uses this phrase, the surety of a better covenant The surety of a better covenant, that when Jesus came, he brought us a better covenant. So what is a covenant? The most common example we have of a covenant that affects our lives is marriage, right? Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a binding agreement set by vows where you bind yourself to someone else. The words are binding, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, till death do us part. That's an example of a covenant. And what the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 7 and 8 is that Jesus came. There was an existing covenant that, that God had made with the people of Israel. And when Jesus came, he forged a better agreement, not just with Israel, but with humanity. And it's really important that we understand that Jesus and and Jesus has bound himself to us, that he has bound himself to us, that he has sealed a major commitment between God and his people. And any commitment that God makes is way better than any commitment that we can make. Any commitment that we can make. Like I recently made a major commitment in my life. Uh, to a dog and um, there were years of pressure that went into this decision Uh, but I didn't grow up with a dog Um, I I never really understood the appeal of dog I'm just being honest I never really understood the appeal of dogs like cleaning up after dogs never really appealed to me having an animal in your face all the time never really appealed to me we had a cat growing up and I had a hamster, a miracle hamster, actually, I talked about before. Bring that story up later. You can ask me later if you want to know about the miracle that, that God saved my hamster. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I never wanted a dog. But I have two girls in my house that love dogs, absolutely love dogs. My wife and daughter both love dogs. And for years, Adele, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but for years, Adele's been saving up all the money that is given to her, whether it's birthdays or whatever, in in this jar for a dog. Like at least two years she saved in this jar. Um, She also uh, would read book after book about the different breeds of dog. And so she's she's like, she's ready to go into veterinary school, I'm pretty sure. She's just very sharp. And even though there was so much pressure, I was still very resistant to having a dog. Um, this was until I was out on a hike early, uh, earlier in the year, early springtime, and I was praying for my family. I was praying for Adele, and I felt like God said, just get the girl a dog. And I was like, oh, 
Are you sure? Did I hear that right? I don't know if I heard that right. But I felt this push in my heart, like, no, you're supposed to do this. Like, this is important. This is love. So I bit the bullet, and, and we did it. It didn't take long before I told Bonnie that story that we had a dog in the house, maybe a couple weeks. And uh, so we, we have a dog now. And I'm getting used to it. I'm working on it. But I'm committed. I just want you to know that I'm committed to loving this dog. Um, but you need to know that any commitment that God makes with you is way, way stronger than, than our human commitment. You know, God doesn't have our hesitancy. When we, we talk about God is love, he is love, and it doesn't fade, and it's not fickle, and it doesn't change uh, depending on how, on how circumstances are going. But God has made a binding covenant with us. He wasn't willing to hold anything back, and it's sealed in the blood of his son. He was willing to sacrifice his son. And so in Jesus, you receive a commitment that won't break and won't fade. It depends on your belief, not your behavior. Jesus took care of that, sealing the covenant with his own blood. And so I want to read Hebrews 7 today, and this might be a lot of scripture, um, but this is what uh, Hebrews 7 says about this commitment that God has made to you. It says this, This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the, the, uh, to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later then the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. All right, so we get back into Jesus as our high priest, as our intercessor, as our go-between, our lawyer between us and God. And um, what he's saying is that in the, the Old Testament, you had a series of high priests that were your go-between, between you and God, to make sacrifices um, for God, for the, the, the guilt of your sin. And in the history of the nation of Israel, there were 83 men who served in this role. And they, they served and they died. And they served and they died. And they were weak and they were unavailable to people. You couldn't call these guys up in the middle of the night. But Jesus is different. Jesus is different. He continually makes intercession for us. And he is not limited while the high priests of that time were limited. And in looking to Jesus as our high priest, we need to recognize that we are limited. Because we might not look for other people to save us, but oftentimes our temptation is to look to ourselves to be good, right? I'm a good person because I say so. And so we don't necessarily see the way God sees that, no, actually, you need someone to intercede for you because you're not good. You're not as good as you think you are. 
Your heart is inclined to evil, and you need someone who can intercede for you. And that what this passage is saying is that Jesus is able, and it uses the word uttermost, that he is able to save you from the uttermost. That means there's no distance that you can go, no, no place from which you can fall, that you cannot be restored, or, or Jesus can't reach. Jesus is able to save you from the uttermost. And that also translates completely, right? So he can go as far as you run away, and he can save you from whatever uh, you feel has gotten in the way. He can restore you completely. And the only condition that we actually see in this passage is that we have to just draw near. Our responsibility is to draw near. And if we draw near to Jesus, he will save you and intercede for you. And you get to receive. You get to receive. I hope you came today knowing that God wants you to receive from him. God wants you to receive grace this morning. And I want to admit this. I've been a Christian for a long time, but I still don't get grace. I still don't understand grace. That, that, that Jesus covers all of my sin. And all of the world's sin, I, I, it, something still doesn't compute. And so sometimes when you read the promise of God right here, that Jesus is able to save you from the uttermost, like, like sometimes that feels too good to be true, right? Sometimes that feels too good to be true, and it seems too simple. And if you've grown up in church, you've heard that message probably a lot, right? That, that you're a sinner, but Jesus died to cover all of your sins, and in him you have new life, you have eternal life. And we can hear that truth again and again and again. And the question I want to ask you today, because I want to I just, I, I don't want to just tell you about this covenant. I want to challenge our thinking today, is following Jesus simple? Is it simple? Is it easy? We come to receive, but is it simple? Is living in this better covenant as simple as, as just receiving? It made me think of weddings. It made me think of weddings, my, my own wedding, um, because I remember when Bonnie and I were getting married, the day we were getting married, I was very nervous. And I had a lot of reason to be nervous because I was 21 and still in college. So I had a lot of reason to be nervous. Um, but my dad officiated our wedding, and so as we were just kind of standing up there shaking, he said something that I'll never forget. Uh, he said, hey, hey, don't worry about today. Uh, today isn't about a wedding. It's about a marriage. You know, just focus on the marriage. And I remember when he said that, it just kind of made me loosen up a little bit. Like, okay, if I don't say all the words right, I'm still okay. Okay, if I, you know, if I don't, if I don't do everything right, I'll be, I'll be fine. And I was anxious, and it helped me realize that, like, no, I'm not just signing up for a moment. I'm signing up for a journey, right? I'm signing up for a life committed to the most amazing woman in the world. She's distracted. I, she's so distracted. Um, but getting married is simple, right? It can take 10 minutes, right? It can take, you can get married in 10 minutes, but a marriage... A marriage, is that, is a marriage simple? No, it's not. Thanks, Marcel. That's, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, marriage is not simple. 
And so today, what I want to say when we, when we talk about covenant, I want you to be reminded of the promise that God has made to you, and that his promise is binding, and that he'll never bag out on his commitment, right? And he'll see it through. Like, God's commitment to you is strong, it's sturdy, it's binding, and I think for a lot of us, that's what we need to hear this morning, because because we feel kind of left behind or we feel alone right now but so if that's you i just want to remind you that god's covenant with you is strong and sturdy and secured in the blood of jesus which is nothing more powerful than that but i also think like in marriage we need to evaluate our commitment to him right we need to look at that covenant and not just say gee thanks but what's my, my commitment like to Jesus? Am I living in this covenant relationship with him? Am I committed? See, Hebrews 8 says that, that this old covenant was really hard for people to follow. All right, when it talks about the old covenant, it uses the word obsolete because basically what God does, did is he gave specific rules to a specific people, um, to 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 uh, he gave them the law so that th the bar that they could they could uh, hit the bar. But what we found out time and time again is that humanity on its own will never hit the bar that God sets. Humanity will never hit the bar that God sets, and so we needed Jesus to bring us a complete covenant. And so we're going to read verse six, and again, this is a little long, um, so but it's it's good, I promise. Uh, but let's pick up, this is 8.6. It says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, and he's quoting back to Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. It's a lot of words, but very powerful words here. Very powerful words. Uh, the, writer of, uh, the writer here is referring back to a promise made by the prophet Jeremiah. And if you remember Jeremiah at all, Jeremiah is referred to as the weeping prophet. Because in the time of Jeremiah, Judah and Jerusalem were falling apart, crumbling to the ground. Um, Babylon was taking over. Um, there was devastation everywhere, blood everywhere. It was really, really bad. So in the middle of this time of devastation, God gives this promise of a new covenant that would come through Jeremiah. He's speaking to a devastated group of people who have seen 
yeah, there's no, we've seen the history of Israel. There's no way that we can meet the bar that God has set. With all its rules and, and practices, there's no way. And what Jeremiah says is, well, one day God will write that law on your minds and your heart. And he will forgive all your sin. There's a day, days that are coming when he will establish a new covenant. And it's going to be far more powerful than the old covenant. Because, as he says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Like, we'll have the Spirit of God with us, leading us back to God, telling us where to go. It's not so much about meeting the, the bar, but, but journeying with the Spirit of God. See, what's cool about this new covenant is it's not just God setting a bar and telling us to meet it. It's not just about behavior. It's about desire. Like, God actually changes what we want when we follow him. He doesn't just change the exterior. He changes the heart. And Jesus made a way for the Spirit of God to communicate to our hearts for us to know what's right and what's wrong. He didn't give us the new covenant to beat us up because Jesus got beat up. Jesus got beat up um, for us to receive the Spirit of God that would direct us. If we live in the Spirit, He will guide us in the truth. And He'll change what we actually want. Like, you know, when I've counseled people who are addicted to something, it's not enough to tell them that what they're addicted to is bad. What they're addicted to will kill them. That's not enough. It's not enough to, to try to modify behaviors. We, God actually wants to change people's desire, right? To change what we want. Because we actually can't do that on our own. And I know for me, like, I've seen that. It's been a journey of God changing what I want. Changing my heart for, for greed, for wealth. My heart that was afraid that was prone to idolatry, changing it to desire God's will for me and my family and my community. It's heart change. And I want heart change to be evident in all of us. I want the Spirit of God to be evident in all of us, that heart change where we will know the law because it's written on our hearts. Because the problem is, is we are a slave to what we want. We're a slave to what we want, and we need someone to change us. We need a heart transplant, and that's what Jesus provides. So that the driving desire of your life would be to please God. God, what do you want my life to look like? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to connect with? Who do you want me to show hospitality to? Because it says that God will write that law on our hearts. And the Holy Spirit will help us guide, not so that we can hit the bar, but go above the bar, right? We're not trying to hit the bar. We're trying to go above the bar. And the only way we can do that is if God gives us a new heart. And so let's get back to the question then. Okay, if God gives us a new heart, does that make following Jesus simple? No, it doesn't. Any, anybody who says following Jesus is simple like, let's have a conversation, because it's not. It's just like marriage, right? Like, a wedding is simple, but a marriage is not 
simple. It's not easy. And you go through seasons in your life where things are difficult and painful. You go through your walk and journey with Christ, and the road gets tough. Things, there's a lot that, that you have to navigate. And we are welcomed into this binding covenant with God, but we're also called to a life of faith. And that's our part. Our part is faith. And that's what Hebrews talks about. Hebrews talks about our connection to this covenant being faith. The encouragement is faith. And faith is not simply believing something or, or, or signing an agreement or um, you know, having like 10 things, uh, like a statement of faith. Faith is something much more internal. Faith is much more internal. I want to read what it says in Hebrews 10 because it talks about faith being a journey, that we're on this, this journey um, of faith. And uh, let's look at this. In, in this quote here in Hebrews 10 is from the prophet Habakkuk. It says this, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which, is a great, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the one coming will, oh, sorry, and the one, and then the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And then it says, you may know this verse, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. This is faith. This is faith. If we're going to understand what it means to follow Jesus, we need to understand what it means to have faith as his people. Ephesians says that we're saved by grace through faith. Grace is God's part. Faith is our part. Believing in it. Trusting it. Living it out. And I just want to bring out three things that it talks about. Um, and, and these are three things to take, take home. That this is what faith is. This is our part. Not throwing away your confidence in Christ. Not shrinking back. And then that last verse, being sure of what we can't see. All right? So there are moments in our lives where all of us are tested. All of our faith is tested at some point, usually all the time. <laughs> Our faith is tested. Usually every moment our faith is tested. And what scripture says is that you can expect to have a, a time, a, a life full of your faith being tested. The, full of it and, and being tested not to, not to weaken you, but actually to strengthen you. To strengthen your faith. If you have faith, expect it to get tested. And I think it's really important and interesting that we, that we, we talked about fear this morning. I feel like fear is what often gets in the way of our faith. We often, we can give in to a lot of things that, that pull us away. We, we can give in to greed. We can give in to unhealthy relationships. Um, but fear is often the thing that challenges our faith. He said, God says in this, or it says in this passage that my righteous one will live by faith. And that means that if we have faith in Jesus, it's going to shape our life. And that means not shrinking back in the face of fear, having confidence. God doesn't want us to have lives that are driven by fear. 
Second uh, Timothy one seven says, "For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self control." So that's the that's the evidence, right? That we wouldn't receive a spirit of fear that would make us shrink back and not trust our Lord, but that instead, even when even when we're just dealing with it, that we would project the power of God and the love of God and self-control. And I just think about, you know, as Marcel mentioned, there's a lot going on in our world today, right? There's a lot going on in our world. There's a lot that, that uh, could cause us fear. As we speak, like Afghanistan, I don't know if you're following this, Afghanistan's falling apart this morning. Um, there's a lot that uh, we could concern us, uh, and we could surrender to a spirit of fear. We could let the, the things of the world create anxiety in us and just drive us away from, from uh, seeking God, from prayer, and from talking with others about these things. And God isn't try to, trying to minim, minimize your feelings at all. But what God is trying to do is replace fear with a spirit of power and love and self-control and not let the world toss you around. And in order to do that, we need a new heart. We need a new heart. And so that's my prayer for us, is that we would seek that new heart, that we wouldn't look around at the world and get scared, but that if, if we see things that frighten us, that we would be driven to pray, that we would be driven to pray and to seek the Lord and not panic. And that we as a church would have a posture of love and self-control and the power of God. Just for reference, this letter was written to Christians living under the Emperor Nero. Who's heard of Nero here? Anybody? He wasn't a good guy. He wasn't a good guy. He would, uh, the phrase Roman candles comes from uh, the fact that he would light Christians on fire on poles in his garden. Like, there was a lot of pressure uh, th there was a lot of pressure on the church at that time, and it's to this, this church that the writer says, don't shrink back. Have full confidence. Be assured of what you hope for. So church, let's pray for some resilience today. Let's pray that we would have a spirit of resilience in the, f in the face of fear. And that that's what we would project, is faith not fear. And let's find our security in Christ. Because this is my, as we close, this is, this is sort of the, the point. To answer the question, um, is following Jesus simple? Following Jesus is simple, but the road is difficult. Following Jesus is simple, but the road is difficult. Life will challenge us. Our faith will be tested. Expect it. Expect it when you go into work. Expect it when you um, pull up social media. Expect it that your life will be difficult. The road is difficult. Our faith will be tested. But we have this amazing God who poured out his blood so that we could be secured in relationship with him. Let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, Lord, we just thank you, God, that you love us so desperately that you would do anything, 
possible to, to secure us in relationship with you, to bring us into a fullness of life with you. And Lord, I pray that we would be the expression of Jeremiah 31. Lord, that, uh, Lord, that w- it would be evident that your law is written on our hearts and on our minds, and you would help us to live this out, that you would help us to be a people and a church and a community where your spirit is evident, where we walk in power, where we don't walk in fear. God, where, we, where, where our faith is strong and resilient um, in the face of whatever pressure we're experiencing. So Lord, I pray that you would just help us as a, as a church and community to grab on to you. And Jesus, I pray that Lord, if we feel alone, God, if we feel um, too far, if we feel like we're in the uttermost place away from you, Lord, help us to hang on to your promise that, Jesus, you are able to save us from the uttermost completely. Jesus, we believe that for every person in this room, every person watching, God, that, that, that you are able to reach through whatever barriers we've set up or whatever distance we've run, and you're able to save us from that and pull us into relationship with you. And we celebrate that in Jesus' name. Amen.